Hey guys, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. That was loud. I really hope I didn't burst your eardrum there, but if I did, I can't be held liable because obviously I'm not in the same room as you. So, fuck you. Nah, you're all good. I love you all. Hey guys, this week on the show, we spoke to a legend named Mark David. We spoke all things nutrition. He uh, He's the man. Had a really good uh, really good chat with the bad boy. Uh, I'm pretty sure he liked my tribute as well, which is awesome. So, uh, so get around me while you're getting around him in association with getting around Bill. This week, we are sponsored by Audible. Guys, Audible is an online audiobook uh, website and app. Probably just jump on the app. Um, listen to, it's got, it is fantastic. I'm, I reckon I've listened to about 15 books now from that thing. I've, uh, I love educating myself and finding out new stuff about the world. Um, and uh, the cool thing about it is when you download a certain book, it will give you recommended ones. So it sort of uh, it sort of adds on to that link there. It's fantastic. So head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio and help yourselves out to a credit there. We are also sponsored by Carve, guys. Carve, pretty much if you need outsourcing of any work um, that can be done online, uh, projects, little things you're working on, tell your kids you can help out with the E6 project, um, head to www.carve.ph and you will get 10 hours free of any project, assignment, thing, thing, shmula, 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 you, uh, you, you want to help you out with. So, uh, yeah, jump aboard, guys. Without further ado, here is Marky Mark David. <laughs> Bill's just giving me a uh, the most bizarre look while I was eating a can of tuna, so uh, clearly I'm not on. <laughs> Alrighty, legends, here's the show. Now, before we do this, Let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Are we alone in the universe? What is the future of the human race? Come with me if you want to live. Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. There we go. Alrighty, so uh, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio, guys. Today we have Mark David with us on the line from Boulder, Colorado. Before we introduce Mark uh, properly and get him. Uh, Get him to introduce himself. We are, as usual, going to throw to Tommy for Tommy's Tribute. All righty. Welcome aboard, Mark, and uh, let's go for it. Well, I don't know why we're speaking with Mark. He's the guy you speak to when you look like a truck. He will help you when you want to lose weight. Cause there's no reason chocolate mousse should be on your plate Sugar to the left of me, burgers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with Mark Oh fatties to the left of me, doctors to the right Here I am, please help me let the way Welcome aboard Oh, I love you guys. Tommy, way to go, man. Good for you. Fatty's to the left of me. Yeah, fatty's to the left of me. Sugar on the right. Sugar on the right. Okay. Uh, classic. Um, Mark, so uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on the show and uh, welcome. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you guys finding me and digging me up and here we are kind of having this conversation halfway around the world. How cool is that? Very cool. Awesome. Uh, it's uh, it's a very interesting um, field that you've found yourself in. How did it all? How did it all come about that you um, you ended up specialising so much in you know the psychology of of eating? It's crazy. You know, it's it's sometimes I think we choose stuff and we pick things, and other times I think we're kind of like the world just kind of grabs us and appoints us and assigns us. You know, I was one of those humans. I came into this world sickly and asthmatic and almost died a handful of times in infancy. I had all these health issues. You know, I couldn't breathe. I was allergic to everything. And 
you know, this was at a time my parents were taking me doctor to doctor. Nothing was working. Plus, I was a stutterer. I couldn't speak. And everybody thought I was essentially dumb um, mm. be, because I couldn't speak a word without stuttering it probably eight or nine times. And that wow. was up until about the age of nine or ten. So – and I always knew I was a smart kid. I just couldn't talk. And I was unhealthy. So at some point – and that point was actually about five years old. And, and this is – I, I think about this, like, how bizarre is this? You know, both my parents are dead. But at five, I said to my mom, listen, um, I heard that fruits and vegetables are good for you. And I want to eat more of that. I was raised on the generation in this country of all the artificial stuff when it first came out in the 60s, you know. And yeah. so she started changing my diet at my request when I was five years old. Coincidence or not, my health started changing. And, you know, when we're kids, like the world is magic in a whole different mm. way. And I remember thinking to myself, this is magic. I can do something. I'm just this little suffering human that the big adult world can help. And all of a sudden, I'm helping myself and I'm doing it with food. Like that, that was so crazy. It was so empowering. And I just kept going and going. I kept asking my parents to do more things. Maybe some of them made sense. Maybe they didn't. But anyway, that that led to an absolute fascination with nutrition. I was probably fully healed of everything by about the time I was 13, 14. I could speak fluently. I've had a career as a public speaker. Um, asthma went away. Allergies went away. Turned into an athlete. Uh, and, and, you know, that led me to understanding. And I, I started doing nutrition as a profession. And I was, you know, coaching people and counseling people when I was 19 years old because there wasn't wow. Wow. anybody doing it that much in this country. And But here's the deal. I, I realized I can work with some really smart, intelligent, motivated people. I would say, oh, you want to lose weight. Oh, you want to be healthier. Just eat this and don't eat that. And then I'd see them a week or two later and they say, I know what you said to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just couldn't do it. And I remember having one of those weird aha moments that was, huh, I need to learn about people's psychology. I need to learn about the mind of the eater as much as what one ought to eat. Because so many people say, I want to do this, but they don't. Or they they claim that, you know, I really want to eat this. I don't want to eat that. But something gets in the way. So that was my inspiration to really – learn about the mind of the eater. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that that's the short of it. Yeah, yeah, in a in a roundabout's way. Yeah. You answered it seven times over and uh <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but no, that's great. That's a you must have been a very interesting um interesting kid, very um sure. not many not many children that are 5 years old, you know, are that forward thinking or yeah. that um um intuitive as to, you know, looking out for themselves. That everybody is always kind of mum and dad are in in control and that's it so yep. that's r- really interesting it's funny how you say um you have so many people that um that can't you know they can't stick to the diet that that they're given or they really want to try something but they just can't seem to get it i had a um, circumstance like that just recently to be honest because i started trying um started to play around with a ketogenic diet and i by no means have a bad um a bad diet but I started to take the carbs right down out of my diet and then obviously up the fats and so on and so forth with ketogenic diet. And I was getting painful sugar cravings, like painful. Yeah, really? no, it wasn't. I don't think mm. it was like a weak mental state, like I, I just want to relapse into like comfort eating. Yeah. It was like, I'm in physical pain here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what'd you do? Just get on the... Oh, I just had a donut. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Um... Well, you look good. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, yeah, it's funny what the what the the body and the mind can do when it comes to um, when it comes to eating. So, what 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 point did you actually start working with people on the their psychology and trying to help them with this? You know, here's what happened for me. I was probably about 23, 24 years old, and at that point, and this was you know, I'm an old dude now. Um, but, but at that point it was in, you know, the early 1980s and I had literally read every nutrition book a human could read because at that time 
you know, maybe there was 20 good textbooks you could read and maybe that many popular books on the topic, maybe 40, maybe 50. But I, I had scoured everything and I'm like, huh, there's nothing about eating psychology. If you want to read about the mind of the eater, all there was at that point was a lot of arcane information and research and a few books about anorexia and bulimia. Um, but I was thinking, what about the rest of us? What about every girl I meet who has body image challenges and wants to lose five pounds or 10 pounds? Every person I meet who overeats, who binge eats, they don't have a clinical eating disorder, but they have a relationship with food that they don't know what's going on. So I looked around and I thought, there's actually no way to learn this. I was looking for a book. So I remember I promised myself, I am going to write the book that I want to read. But in order to write the book that I want to read, I actually have to learn a few things. Yeah. So I went back to school. I looked all over the U.S. I found a master's degree program in psychology that would let me do um, more of an independent study in eating psychology because there was no school in the country that had anything to do with eating psychology. But this, this one particular school, Sonoma State University in California, said, hey, we love you. We give you a full ride. You teach here and figure it out. So right. I literally started support groups. I put an ad in the newspaper, eating psychology support group led by graduate student at Sonoma State University. This is back in the days before you can, you know, put an ad on Facebook or something like that. It was all in print. Yep. I didn't know if anybody was going to show up. And sure enough, 20 people came. I had about maybe five or six of the largest, most obese humans I've ever seen in there. I had about five of the tiniest anorexic women I'd ever seen in there as well. Shit. Um, there was one guy who it turns out was bulimic and there was about, I don't know, a handful of women who uh, said they wanted to lose weight. I couldn't figure out from where. And there was one woman who was a model who nobody understood why she was there. She was technically Hollywood gorgeous. So anyway, right. here I was. This was an eight-week group, and we ended up hanging out together for a year, um, once a week. And I learned on the job. You know, I learned asking questions. I already had some decent skills leading a group, but I started learning from them. And then I started working privately. And, you know, that's why doctors call it a practice. You know, I got my practice because mm. you're practicing on people. Um, yeah. So I mm. literally learned on the job. And, you know, probably over the course of another I would say eight or nine years, I started developing some great distinctions. I started having success with clients where other practitioners were not. And that's when I was ready. Okay, I'm ready to put it out there. I'm ready to write a book. My first book got published by Random House. I was a total unknown. I was 30 years old. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a beautiful experience. And I also don't know, if awesome. I, answer, <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question, but... That was a fun telling that story. <laughs> no, that's all right. What we'll do for the rest of the show, Mark, that's is good. I'll ask a question. I'll say, hey, what's your, uh, what's your favorite color? And then you can tell us the next, yeah. uh, next stage of your life. Well, all right. you say that because I'm, I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump. And, uh, actually, no. Um, no, that's great. It's good. It's all really interesting. This is what we want to we know anyway. So well, when, you, when you're in this focus group, oh, not focus group, when you're in this, um, this um, get-together meet-up with the um, psychological um, eaters that you've brought in and there's bulimics and, and, uh, and people that are very obese and so on and so forth. What are, like, what's some of the things that you, how do you help some of these cases? So like, because there's such different cases. So like, let's use an example of somebody who's just very obese and let's use, maybe give us an example as well of, of somebody who's anorexic or bulimic. Like how do you start to figure out what's really behind all of this and how do you actually start to implement changes that are going to be lasting for them? That's a darn good question, Doc. I like that. You're just not Thanks, known brother. for your good looks. You got brains too. <laughs> I like that. So, you know, here's what I want to say about that. It, it's the first thing we have to realize is that it's so easy for us to look at somebody who seems to be, who, who's super overweight or who's super anorexic or has whatever eating challenge they have, and we kind of naturally conclude, oh, you got a problem with food. 
You have a food problem. So everybody tries to solve that person's food problem. And of course, then we focus on behaviors and we focus on willpower. Well, just don't eat the food. We say to the obese person and we say to the anorexic person, eat more food. And I think to myself, duh, you know, don't you think they know that? Do you think Mm. telling an obese person not to eat is going to, they're going to go, oh, I'd never thought of that. So first of all, I had to see past what we normally get stuck at. I had to go over that first couple of speed bumps where like, wait a second, if this isn't about food, then it's expressing that, that, that whatever this person's dealing with, they're expressing it through their relationship with food. So what I need to do is I need to start to ask the kinds of questions that help me decode this person's life, plain and simple. So I'm less looking to figure out how come you eat so much. I mean, sure, that's what I'm trying to understand, but I am trying to learn who are you? What is your journey? When did you start to gain weight? What was happening in your life? So when you when you ask the right questions, you start to get a history. You start to get a person's story. And here's the other piece that I want to say, Doc, to answer your question is that I am always looking to see, you know, where a person truly wants to go and why their eating issue actually makes sense. Because normally if we look at somebody who's really obese, really fat, we're going to say, oh, I don't like you. You're so fat. You got no control. And I promise you, if somebody's overweight, they have a reason for it. If they're eating too much, they have a reason. If they're emotionally eating, they've got a reason. If they're anorexic, they've got reasons. That reason might not make sense to you or me, but it makes perfect sense to them. So I try to find first the brilliant, intelligent reasons why they're having their eating challenge. And then from there, you can start to unwind it. Once you start to feed back to a person, hey, based on the story you've just told me, I'll lay it out for them. Here's what I think is going on for you. Here's your journey. Here's when you started to gain weight or here's when you started first becoming anorexic. Here's why your behavior makes sense. Mm. And here's Mm. why your behavior doesn't serve you anymore. Um, Because people have to get like, okay, is this behavior useful? So I'll give you an example. For, For people who are carrying around a bunch of extra weight. Now, this is not for everyone, but there's a lot of people who carry extra weight because it's a form of protection. So... Uh, what are humans being, what what would a human being protect themselves from? Well, you know, if I was sexually abused when I was a kid and if I'm a girl, a very smart thing to do is to gain a lot of weight because if you gain a lot of weight and you're a girl and you've been sexually abused, you are less of a sexual target potentially. Plus all creatures in nature know that the biggest creatures are the toughest and the strongest and you don't go after them. You go after the medium size or the little size ones. So nature loves size. Size matters in nature when it comes to survival. Size mm-hmm. also matters when it comes to being able to fight the enemy. Size also matters when it comes to protecting yourself physically and sexually. So a lot of people are walking around with personal, emotional, physical protection. That's their weight. They have to learn how to be safe in the world. Otherwise, you'll never help them lose weight ever, ever, because the weight serves a purpose. So Mm. I have to actually work with that person on feeling safe before I can work with them on losing weight. So that's just one example of diving into a person's story around weight and helping unwind it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a very, um, very interesting point that you raise. And it makes... It makes sense kind of um, subconsciously that you can't really control the fact that you want to be, you know, big for that reason. It's, yeah, it's yeah. something I've never thought about. How does that – so that's that's an awesome an awesome thing to uh, understand. So what about, um, what about people that have – and I know it's not uh, – there's not one size fits all for mm. any of these questions the that pun. I'm going to ask. But, but um, yeah, pardon the pun. But, <laughs> um, but what about someone with um, – anorexia or, or bulimia obviously that's not that's the opposite that's not going to be there for a protection because to be one of the big mammals and be feel yep. safe or whatever but so how do you um what are the typical reasons that you see 
bulimia and, and anorexia in, in men and women? Okay, very, very different reasons, and those reasons could actually change from person to person. Anorexia, mm. I'm going to say some of the common reasons, so I'm not saying this is for everyone. Common mm-hmm. reason number one is that, well, first of all, humans, and particularly women, but men as well, but especially women are given the message on planet Earth in order for you to be lovable, in order for the opposite sex to want you, to desire you, in order for you to get the goodies and find love and find a great guy, you got to be slender. You got to be skinny. They are getting that message all the time, everywhere they go, social media, movies, TV, you name it. So they're getting that message. So from a young age, girls get the message, be skinny if you want to be loved. Um, So that's a piece of the puzzle. But the other piece is for anorexics as well. So so they're trying to win the prize. The prize is, well, I'm going to be the skinniest. And at some point, what happens is in order to be that skinny, you need to have a lot of control. You need to have a lot of motive force in your mind. You need to focus all your energy on managing your food, managing your appetite. And believe it or not, it becomes a high. It's similar. It's no different than the high of working out. It's no different from the high of running a marathon. You get physically high when you become unbelievably skinny. There's an actual, there, there's, a, there's a biochemical change that happens in the brain. And all of a sudden, you look in the mirror, and to your to your mind, you weigh ninety pounds, but you might even think you're fat, because it actually impacts how you see the world. So at the same time, Mm. that anorexic person is separating themselves from humanity. They're saying, "I'm different from you. I'm better than you. I'm perfect. I could control my food. I don't hardly even need to eat. I'm skinnier than you." And it's a quest for perfection because perfection means I am I, – I, I don't answer to anybody. Perfection means I'm beyond criticism. But it also has this weird thing with a lot of anorexics. They kind of don't want to be here fully because when you're that yeah. skinny, you can't, you can't be here. You can't give birth. If you're a woman, uh, you can't carry a child. You cannot – Uh, You don't have enough strength in your body and you gradually become less and less efficient at life and taking care of yourself until in extreme cases you end up in a hospital and you die from essentially starvation. But it's Mm. a it's it's a form of saying to life, um, I want out. It's not direct suicide in a weird way. It's it's a slow protest. It's a slow self-starvation. It's saying, I don't want to be here. I don't like this. Yeah. That's a deeper yeah. message. Do you think, um, yeah. do you think, what do you think about today's society? Obviously, um, uh, you've been around uh, longer than, than I have, John, and also in your particular field. So I know nothing about it. But is since the rise of social media, uh, basically the last 10 years, I suppose, mm. do you think that's having a really. Um, detrimental impact on young girls in particular because I mean obviously uh, when I was young it was there was kind of internet I'm 30 years old there was a little bit of internet you know when I was a teenager but when I was really young it was just magazines so Dolly and Vogue magazine and all these with the waif thin models that, that girls would look up to and that's all well and good but nowadays it's hours and hours and hours scrolling through Instagram every day, Snapchat every day, um, which you can put up fake photos and filters and, and all these different things. And the people that get the most likes and the most followers and is all just these beautiful people, basically. And what are the, are the rates of anorexia and bulimia? Are they falling? Are they steady? Are they rising? Because for me, I just think the world's getting a lot more superficial and it's probably harder for a lot of kids to stay grounded and just worry about being happy on the inside? Yeah, Doc, huge question. And let me let me say a few words because I think it's an important question. So in my observation, because, you know, we all watch certain things, you know, like I pay attention to nature. I pay attention to certain things about culture. And, and one thing I have noticed is that our eating challenges and our health challenges overall – Um, tend to 
have been increasing in this world. They're not decreasing. That's what I've noticed. They're increasing. Mm. So, you know, incidences of disordered eating um, is on the rise as far as I can tell. So I don't like to pin it on social media because the challenge is what happens. People go, oh, social media is bad. Well, no, social media is not bad. It's kind of how we are using it that can be problematic. It's like any tool, you know, is a knife good or bad? Well, depends on how you use it, you know. I can make a great meal and chop up my vegetables and I love my knife. You know, you could use the same knife to, you know, destroy a work of art, you know. Is a knife good or bad? Well, it's neither. It just depends how you use it. So that's that's why, you know, for, for us, you know, what I do, you know, I founded an organization, the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, and really, it, it's in a lot of ways, yes, it's an educational organization, but it's my way as a human being of raising my hand and say, I protest. I don't like this. I don't like how we are using our communication channels. I'm going to use social media. I'm going to use the online universe, and I'm going to have a conversation that matters. I'm going to say good stuff. I'm going to deliver messages that I believe are healthier than what I'm seeing out there. So instead of me complaining about social media, I'm going to get on it and I'm going to make it better. <laughs> that's how I look at it. Mm. Yeah, that's good. It's a good way to look at it. It's definitely not. It's definitely not all bad. I just think, uh, yeah, it's just so so in your face. Different, the, um, some images can be pushed more than others. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hey, yeah. Hey, Mark. When um when we first started talking, you were telling us about how. Excuse me. You were you were born, and you had uh, obviously you were born. I'm assuming you were born. And, um, <laughs> I do remember him saying he was born. I'm I think sure we, can, born. we can cover off on that we'll one. Yeah. On that. yeah. Oh well, that's good. <laughs> um, you were saying uh, how you you had uh, some allergies, and and um, you're kind of like a sick child. I wanted to talk about um, that sort of stuff, and if you've seen some people that uh, that have had asthma, for example, or um, various anaphylaxis, and and um, if their change in diet has sort of got rid of some of those. Those illnesses? Yes, yes, yes. You know, for you know, asthma is a tricky one when you look at the statistics, and I don't even know if they're being tracked as well as they could be. But all the governmental organizations in this country are very clear that you know asthma is has been dramatically on the rise over the last yeah. 40, 50 years. Um, I will tell you, you know. The doctors back in 1958 told my parents, my parents told me this years later that I had an adverse reaction to the vaccine that they, to all the vaccines they gave me when I popped out the womb. Um, Mm -hmm. So to me, there's a profound correlation and you're not going to read about this, you know, in popular media or online media, but you know, there's, um, there's some huge issues with vaccinations. So the challenge is, you know, it can affect the immune system. Vaccinations can adversely affect breathing, lungs, uh, just so much. Um, Can diet make a big difference with asthma? You bet it can. Um, Mm. You know, I started seeing dramatic changes when I let go of dairy products, when I let go of milk especially. Um, Let go of dairy milk. A lot of people, when they let go of gluten, um, that can be what helps asthma, you know, start to subside. Um, But it can definitely be healed for sure. And it takes work, you know, like everything else. We got to be detectives of our own body. You know, it's like we're so taught to give away our power. Oh, let me just go to the doctor. Doctor's going to tell me what to do. I'll go to 20 doctors. I'll get 20 different opinions. I'll go to 100 doctors until I find an answer or until I find clues and hints. Um, to me, that's what, that's what health is about. You know, we have mm. to be good, good sleuths. We have to be curious. We have to try everything in the kitchen sink to get where we need to go. Um, so, yeah, diet can help big time. Exercise helps big time when it comes to asthma, S- strange as it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I've, I'm about four weeks in and I've given up gluten, um, dairy and red meat completely. And I've noticed a massive change already in my in my asthma. Like I'm just not cha- I'm not taking my uh, my morning and night thing as much anymore. And I mean, the, the hay fever has been horrendous over here lately in uh, in, in Melbourne. But um, 
Yeah, it's 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 an amazing it's an amazing experience when you just take all that stuff out. What what is it about dairy that can cause so many uh, inflammatory responses in the body, and why are so many people still eating dairy? Like, what's why is why is it you know so oh. misconceived into being healthy and important for us? Great, great, great question. You know, here's the thing: we have to look at. You always have to when it when it comes to foods and when it comes to drugs. You have to look at the flow of money. So first and foremost, um, the dairy industry has been big for a long time. So it has become a massive planetary um, industry, um, particularly milk, particularly milk. You know, in, in so many countries, milk is pushed as the elixir of life. Now, when you think about it, you and I are humans and we are drinking the milk from a large beast um, that kind of hangs around, you know, the lawn outside and munches on grass and gives its milk to its own offspring, a calf, so that calf could grow, you know, to a couple mm. thousand pounds. So you and I, as adults, we have more of an ability to manage that kind of a powerful substance. Um you give milk or dairy to a very young infant and, and they can't tolerate it. Um, the digestive system's not strong enough. So there are plenty of humans out there that their body, their genetics has never seen dairy. So most people in China, most people in Asia, Philippines, other countries, certain African nations, like there's no dairy in, in their lineage. There's no dairy mm. in their genes going back generations. So genetics hasn't caught up to that. At the same time, the quality of milk and dairy products has dramatically gone down. Really? So we're mass producing. Oh, my goodness. We're mass producing yeah. this stuff. The milk that you drink is full of hormones. It's full of antibiotics. The hormones that they give to cows, the antibiotics, all the nonsense that they give them, plus all the oh. pesticides and the oh, herbicides that are concentrated in the feed that the cow eats gets concentrated in its fat, which means the milk, oh. which means the dairy. So you're participating in a sick food chain. So it's the quality of the food itself has gone down. So you add all that up together, genetic predisposition for many people to not be able to tolerate it, plus the quality of it, hard for the human body to digest and assimilate. Yeah. So we react to it. Same with gluten, by the way. And what we're, you know, gluten, wheat, 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 which is where you're going to get most of your gluten. Technically speaking, as far as we can tell, um, it, it's been it, it's it's been created as a crop maybe, maybe 10,000 years ago at the most. It, we used to say 6,000 years ago. We keep bumping up the number. But the bottom line is, even if it was 12,000 years ago that we first started domesticating wheat, that is mm. a second of time in evolutionary history. Yeah, so many of, right. the, many of the foods that you and I eat, and I'm not saying this is bad, many of the foods are genetic exper experiments, meaning when I was growing up, we ate bananas. Um, but there was no bananas ever in my, in, in, in my lineage. In Eastern Europeans, they never had bananas. So when you start eating bananas and your lineage hasn't seen that, that's a genetic experiment. Either works or it doesn't. Yeah. So gluten, gluten is the name of the protein found in wheat. Proteins are very complex substances. When you have a, a true allergy, when you have a, a true allergic response, according to science, your immune system is reacting to the protein component of that food. So when we mm. say I have a corn allergy, I have a dairy allergy, I have a wheat allergy – what we are really saying is you are reacting to the protein component in that food. Um, the casein in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the dairy, dairy or the milk, yeah. the gluten, gluten in the wheat. We're also finding out now that it's not just the gluten, but there's a very common um, chemical that we're spraying on all the wheat crops. It's called glyphosate. Um, and it turns out that that is as much responsible for the negative reactions to gluten as the gluten itself. Wow. So that's a nasty Monsanto chemical that's messing up the human body. Um, I hope that answer mm. was helpful and that I didn't yak yeah, too much. Yeah, definitely. There. 
<laughs> no, it's uh, it's just sending off warning bells, <laughs> just uh, rising my cortisol. <laughs> um, you know, but 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 guys, let me just say this before you jump into the next question. I think it's important that 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 all of us, hey, people tuning in, that you take away in your mind, like, oh my God, milk is bad. Oh my God, this is bad. Humans get caught up in this nonsense. Well, is this food yeah. good or bad? It's not about the food being good or bad. A glass of milk is a, it's just a glass of milk. It's not sitting there with these evil intentions to mess up your, your lungs and give you asthma or make you have an allergic response. It's neutral. So with milk, it depends how you use it. With any food, it depends how you use it. Does it work for your body or doesn't it? Like that's my yep. question. It's not about is meat good or bad. It's does it work for your body? Is this what your body wants at this time or not? Um, and, and then we can just get out of the like, oh, my God, this is bad. I don't even think sugar is bad because the truth is it's all about the dose. The dose makes the poison. That's the field of mm. toxicology summed up into five or six words. The dose mm -hmm. makes the poison. You have all kinds of poisons circulating in your body right now, mercury, aluminum. It's not killing you because the dose isn't toxic. Mm, you know, yeah. you have a little sugar, you have your donut, you're not going to die. But if you had enough sugar, then it starts to you'll, – you'll reach a certain point where certain substances will start to affect the body. So a lot of it's about dose as opposed to you must never eat this food ever again. Otherwise, you know, I don't know, you're going to, going to hell or something. <laughs> well, definitely hope not. <laughs> um, how, much of, um, how much of these problems that you see with people that you're working with, Mark, are uh, kind of happiness related? So, so obviously, oh, yeah. um, uh, we've probably, we've touched on that a little bit with, um, with okay, people that might be a little overweight, people that are anorexic, bulimic, um, anything in between that, that there's something wrong with their, their, uh, their diet, it's because there's an underlying unhappiness. How much of that is actually related to the quality of the food that they actually eat? And, and do you get in there and break their diet down and then it kind of creates a nice little snowball effect? Is, is it easier and easier once you actually get them eating better food? Because how much of the, the unhappiness that they have is because of the, like you say, the, the, the dirty food that we are fed as a culture through, through, the, yeah. oh. through the, the culture that we've set up. Yeah, wonderful question. You know, it truly, truly, I've been good truly. With questions today. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been good. It's been one of my better days. <laughs> Go on, Mark. He hasn't been drinking his milk. <laughs> yeah, it's probably because you ate a good diet today. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it really depends on the person. As an example, I meet so many people who, you know, are like eating the greatest food in the universe. They're buying all organic. They buy local. They buy high quality. They're they're just eating the right foods. And they can be absolutely sickly and miserable and unhappy and have all kinds of health challenges and they could be depressed and it has nothing to do with the food and everything to do with them, you know, everything yeah. to do with their life. Um, conversely, you know, I'll meet people who on paper, they should be really happy and they should be okay. And, you know, they, they get stuck. And they go through periods of mood issues. They go through periods of depression and then they climb out of it. And so often what happens is that there's a subset of people who with bad nutrition, with eating a junk food diet will impact mind and emotions, regardless of how good or bad their life is. That a mm -hmm. poor quality diet will impact mind and emotions and it will impact their mood. And until you help them clean up, it doesn't matter how much you counsel them or coach them. Um, you're never going to move them forward because their biochemistry is limiting them. Their neurochemistry is limiting them based on what they eat. And, and it's simple science. This isn't rocket science for goodness sake. You know, so, you know, so many humans are deficient in high quality essential fats because the, the the fat that we get from most of our typical store-bought foods isn't high quality it's been high heated it's been treated it's kind of fake and yeah. it does more harm in the body than good so if you're not getting enough essential fats you're not getting enough of the building blocks 
of the key mm. hormones in your body. You know, if you're a male, that's testosterone. If you're a female, it's estrogen. Mm. Many of the hormones of energy, the chemicals of thinking, that's they're, they're created from the building blocks of fat. Um, so right then and there, a person's limited. Uh, I have watched so many people, you just put them on more healthy fat and they haven't been eating any for years and their mood changes overnight. Their, their appetite changes in a good wow. way. Um, you know, it's a lot of people go low fat because they think fat and food equals fat on my body. But if you go too low in fat, we call them EFAs, essential fatty acids, because we need them for life. You don't get them. And all of a sudden your body's deficient and your brain goes, oh, my goodness, he must be she must be on a desert island. There's no fat here. Let me store weight on my body. Let me store body fat vigorously. I must be on a desert island. Yeah. A lot of times the brain thinks it's starving and it'll cause us to literally hang on to weight, which then gives us the opposite effect of what we're doing by trying to cut out fat from the diet in the first place, which for many people is to lose weight. Mm. That's right. That's that's um, really interesting point. Is it true? What about the um, the relationship the body has with crappy foods? I, I think I heard this somewhere and it made really good sense to me that you know how with when your body's satiated say you have like um good good sugars say you have a bit of fruit like you're gonna you're gonna eat an apple for example mm-hmm. you eat an apple and you feel semi satiated because uh it's a it's a better quality of sugars basically yep, natural sugar yep. yeah whereas if you eat like a bag of um a bag of cheetos you can keep <laughs> eating those cheetos for days on end you can eat two bags three bags or a whole block of chocolate because your body is not giving you that satiated feeling because you're not actually getting any of the nutrients. Is that, is that, a, is that science or am I bro-sciencing this right now? Oh, I love that question. Um, that is science. And yeah, the simple science is this. Your brain, my brain, our brain scans the meal every time we eat. Why is your brain scanning a meal? Because the brain wants to know what the heck is going on. There's this dude just took a whole bunch of stuff and and put it in the body. So your body has to go, whoa, you know, okay, there's all kind of stuff coming in. Is this poison? Is this good for me? What's the nutrition I need? What don't I yep. need? So, and it takes the body approximately 20 minutes to figure that all out. Uh, huh, did I get enough protein in this meal? Did I get enough fat? Did I get enough micronutrition, macronutrition? So this is the brilliance of your digestive organs and the brilliance of the central nervous system. They work together to basically determine, are we getting what we need? So the weird thing is the brain isn't smart enough to say something like, you know, hey, doc, hey, Tommy, you know, this meal you just ate, there's no nutrition in it. So you got to go and get yourself a nice, healthy meal, because even though you just ate a big plate of chips... It doesn't have enough for you. So the brain's not smart enough to say that. The brain just says, huh, I just ate a bunch of chips. There's not enough of what I need here. There's not enough protein, not enough fat. And then the brain screams hungry because the brain Mm. wants you to find more food. Uh, So all of a sudden the brain screams hungry because we are hungry. We're hungry for nutrition. And that is why humans can consume large amounts of sugar, large amounts Mm. of calories that are quote unquote empty and still be hungry. You have to always yeah. look for the brilliant reason why biology is doing what it's doing. Biology's brilliant reason is basically saying, wait a second, dude, you got to do more hunting and foraging because we're not getting what we need here. Hungry, hungry, hungry. So the brain is screaming at you to find food. And then we think we're willpower weaklings. And people go, oh my God, look at me. I can't control my willpower. You don't got a willpower problem whatsoever. You got a food quality problem. Mm, Make yeah. sense? Mm, definitely. Yeah, for sure. That's it's awesome. So interesting that you can kind of like if you if you know the right um if you know the right place to look, you can find scientific explanations for every oh, yeah. everything that the body does, you know, like I didn't re- realize that was the case until like very recently, but it makes so much sense to as why people can um, actually binge so much on just terrible foods. Um, hey, Mark, so why don't you tell us, give us an example of like, um, we want to hear uh, a good news story. Give us uh, a story about one of your, your 
your greatest achievements to date in helping people with their um, psychology when it comes to eating? Okay. Uh, great. Well, okay. One of my greatest achievements, I, I'll, I'll mention one of my most memorable clients ever. It's actually two clients. They come as a package and you'll see really quickly why. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll nail this one fast. So this <laughs> is when I first started practicing. Woman comes to see me. I practice on Wall Street in New York City. My clientele is high end. They're expensive. They are very well educated. They're go-getters and they want results. So this lady comes to see me. She is 40 pounds overweight. She's about five foot two. She's freaked out. She hardly eats. She eats a thousand calories a day. She runs marathons. She's running six miles a day and she runs 15 one day on the weekends. Um, And she can't lose a single pound. So she comes to see me and I tell her it's going to take me at least a couple of months of working with her to kind of turn things around. She cuts me a check right then and there for three months. And I let her know after the first session, after I do my intake, I said, listen, you hardly have any fat in your diet. You hardly have any protein in your diet. Your body's starving. And it's go and, and and you need to eat more protein and fat. Believe it or not, it's going to signal your metabolism to pick up. So she looked at me like I was crazy because I'm telling her to eat more food. And according yeah. to her brain, food equals calories and calories equals weight gain. So yeah, she's yeah. eating a thousand calories and she can't lose a pound while she's running marathons. And I'm telling yeah. her to eat more food and she's looking at me like I'm crazy, but she believes me because I came well recommended. Two weeks later, you know, I gave her simple dietary guidelines. Two weeks later, I get a phone call and a letter, both. Um, Phone call basically says she's gained five pounds to check my mail. I get a letter from her from her legal team and they will sue me unless I give her her money back because she gained weight. And I'm a young kid. I freaked out. I give her the money back. And well, sounds like a I, jerk. Straight to the golden gate. Right? <laughs> yeah, so I couldn't understand what happened. Now, hang on a second. Fast forward to about a year later, another lady comes in, and it was almost the same lady with the same story, obviously different person. And she was actually recommended by another client of mine, who I, a weight loss client I had a lot of success with. Same lady. She's running. She runs. She doesn't run marathons, but, she, but she's running five, six miles a day. She's working out like crazy. She doesn't lose weight. She's eating 1,200 calories a day. I thought, I I really thought, oh my God, she's like a cop and they're trying to bust me or something like that. You know, the other woman hired her from a year ago. Um, And I'm really nervous and, and and I do my intake and I don't know, something inspired me. And I said, listen, I said, this is gonna take us a little bit of time to unwind. I gotta get you back on food. You might gain a few pounds first, but we're going to turn your metabolism around. So I, so I got a little bit of a somewhat sense of confidence, mm-hmm. gave her more fat, more protein. Sure enough, she gained a couple of pounds the next week, but she said, mm-hmm. you know, I trust you. I'm going to hang in there with you. And then check this out. Um, I spoke to a colleague of mine, and I was just telling him my story with this client, with this other client. And this guy was more of a research scientist. And he said, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm just wondering about the stress response. Like you're talking about two, two, two people who are so stressed out. Yeah, you know, that's right. He said stress impacts metabolism. Oh, yeah. And as soon as he said that, the lights went off in my head. I went to the local, went to the New York Public Library, one of my favorite libraries in the world. I started digging in and sure enough, I, I like I, I just had an epiphany and this lady comes back. I said, listen, you run uh, five, six, seven miles a day. Do you like running? And she said, oh, yeah, I love running. And I said to her, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she started crying as soon as I said that. She said, I hate running. I said, yeah, <laughs> I, I could see it. You, you, well, you're every, in sight, lady. <laughs> yeah, of course you hate running. You, you don't want to run. You just want to lose weight. So running is stressful. And when you are in a stress state, one of the things the body does is it can hang on to weight because your body, once again, it thinks it's starving. 
When the body is stressed, it will hang on to body fat. We are producing yeah. more insulin and more cortisol. Those are two hormones that will signal the body to store weight, store fat, and not build muscle when we secrete them in excess day in and day out. So I asked her to give up all running, which means all her calorie burning activity. I said, what do you like to do? Assuming all exercise burned tons of calories, what would you do? She said, I would just dance and do yoga. And I'm, I said, great, dance and do yoga. And we redesigned her diet. I put more pleasure in her diet. I put in some chocolate. I, I just wanted this lady to have, just relax more, have fun in your yeah. life, have fun with food. I am going to tell you that within three months, and this woman truly had 30 pounds to lose, she lost the weight. Um, wow. There you go. And she was eating more food and doing less exercise. Actually, she lost about 20 pounds in three months. The other 10 pounds came off a few months later. But it, but mm -hmm. it came off in a natural way. She wasn't forcing herself. She was being the real her. What does the real her mean? She's not pushing and forcing herself to do stupid nonsense that she doesn't want to do and stupid nonsense that her body doesn't want to do. So when you and I start to become the person we're meant to be, the body has the best freaking chance to become what it wants to be. Because mm, your yeah. body, my body has a natural state. Just the same way I have a natural state, who I am. I have my natural gifts, my natural talents. When I start showing up and taking care of myself in a good way, in terms of my inner life, my inner world, my personal life, getting rid of, of self-chosen stressors, a lot of stresses you can't get rid of, and that's fine. All stress isn't bad, but let's get rid of the self-chosen ones for sure. And her life changed, her metabolism changed, because mind impacts metabolism. For so sure. for her, it was both her diet and you know, her internal world. And when you work on both of those pieces at the same time, you know, things start to synergize. So that was that those two clients set me on my journey in a whole different way. That's, so how, um, just, um, sorry, yeah, Bilbo. Um, how many people out there, Mark, do you think can't reach their, their health goals purely related to stress? Like we always talk about stress being the, uh, the, I mean, it's almost like a buzzword in, in this day and age where everyone's like in the rat race and stressing out and all this sort of stuff. Just how much of, a, of an issue do you think it is? Oh, good question. Well, if you, if you just go straight to science, um, when it comes to diseases across every category, science will tell us that the two most common risk factors that occur – across the board for just about all different kinds of diseases, the two most common contributing factors are stress and diet, stress and poor diet. That, that, so sure. does stress impact us in a huge way? But here's what I want to say about your question, Tommy. And, and you kind of mentioned this. I forget the words that you just said. You said, you know, stress is kind of like this catch-all word and everybody's talking yeah. about it. Here's the thing. We have to define stress better. And what I mean by that is stress – you know, stress doesn't just mean holy, you know, wow, I got up late today. I got to rush to work. I got to get there on time. I got to get my job done. Yep. Stress is also fear, any kind of fear, anything that you're afraid of. If you have fear of getting married, you have fear of relationship, fear of love, fear of intimacy, fear of not making enough money, fear of, I don't know, fill in the blank. If you got anxiety, um, if you got a lot of hate in your system. If you got a lot of judgment in your system, if you're constantly attacking yourself, if you're constantly thinking negative thoughts about the world, about life, that creates stress chemistry in the body. Mm. So judgment, anger, fear, anxiety, all of that translates into the body as physiologic stress. So what I'm saying is a lot of people say the word stress, but really what it might mean is a person's key stressor might be the fact that, you know, they never forgave their ex-husband or their ex-wife and they walk around, you know, living with that day in and day out. And yep. they're carrying a grudge. But really what they're doing is they're carrying a stress response and that will change mm. their physiology. That will that will potentially have a negative impact on all the great foods that they might be eating because you got the perfect diet. But if you're creating intense stress chemistry in your body because you're not doing your personal development work, you're not growing as a human and you're just continuing to be a jerk 
um, that's going to impact your metabolism. Um, so at some point, you got to forgive your parents. You got to let go of the person that done you wrong. At some point, you know, yeah, at some point, definitely. we have to stop self-attacking. At some point, you got to stop hating women, hating men, hating whatever, because mm. that creates a biochemistry in the body that doesn't serve us. For sure. You always feel like you're on edge and you always, yeah. That's such an, uh, such an interesting conversation because, um, you know, you just don't hear these factors come into, into play very often, but obviously they're so prevalent underneath mm. everybody. It's such, yeah, really, really interesting. Hey, Mark, we, got, we know we've got, uh, got to get you out of here at some point. So let's, um, can we go to six from six? Three questions from me, three questions from Tommy. Rapid fire, are you ready for it? Let's do it, boys. Alrighty, so my first question is, what is your favorite travel destination on the planet? Can be anywhere. Um, where's the favorite place you've been? Oh, goodness, that is so easy for me. It is Maui, Hawaii. Ooh. Oh, that's two in a row for Hawaii, yeah. actually. Last person we had on was, uh, was Hawaii as well. Why is that? Well, you know, I, I'm cheating a little bit because I lived there for two years straight, and then I lived there for half the year for another six or seven years straight. So I've gotten to experience it as both a tourist and as a, uh, you know, as a resident in Hawaii. Once you're there for a long time, it's got a special energy. Um, the ocean is special. It's Hawaii is like its own kind of drug. It's its own altered state. And after about 10 days, you start to get on island time. And it, it for me, it just it changes changes me from the inside out. It changes my body, changes my metabolism. Um, and it's like everything grows there so fast. You know, you eat a papaya, you spit out the papaya seed, and six days later, there's something growing where you spit out the seed. Yeah, like, whoa. That's great. They're ending papaya tree. All right, so my next question is, what's your dream destination, a place that you haven't been that you just can't wait to get to? Iceland. I want to oh, go to that's Iceland. That's a nice one. Nice. I want to go to Iceland. I have a best friend for 30 years who lives in Iceland, you know, and I've only seen him when he comes to this country. And I am just jonesing for Iceland. I actually think I'm going to go this spring. I just, awesome. I, I love the people. I love the culture because I've met a lot of Icelanders. And man, they got some hot springs there and volcanic mm. waters. And I want to jump in. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, hot women. I was about no, to they agree. Do, they yes, they do. <laughs> hot springs. They do have hot springs. Yeah. Um, yes. My last question is uh, any books that you recommend to people that have uh, really positively impacted you? They can be a novel, autobiography. They can be fiction, whatever. Yes. You know, I'm going to mention a book that was given to me, gosh, seven years ago now. And I don't have a lot of books at this stage of my life that really changed my thinking. This, this book helped change my thinking. It's called The Culture Code. And The Culture Code was written by this PhD psychologist who does all this research for industry. And he gives you a look behind the scenes of how industry sells you things and how they're able to figure out through different psychological tools and methods, how they're able to figure out whether you're Australian, Italian, American, what you want and what you think about things. Because if you're, because if I say the word love, an American hears that word different from an Italian, different from an Australian, different from anybody. Mm. So he breaks down in a lot of ways how different cultures hear different words underneath mm. other words. So there's a code hidden within our language that we hear certain things. So if you say food in America, um, People think something as opposed to when they say food in France, they think something else. So I love that book. Very easy to read. Interesting. Tommy, you're up. Okay. Uh, Mark, what's something that you like to do when you have some spare time or some downtime? When I have downtime, I try to get me to an ocean and get out on the water and either paddleboard or surf. That's, that's my love. Um, I live in Colorado, so I'm landlocked and I'm, I'm a fish out of water here, <laughs> but paddleboarding is, you know, paddleboarding, you could do anything. You can yeah. get a workout. You can, you can explore nature in the water. You can surf on a paddleboard. You can, uh, you can get so fit. You can have a cool time. That's, that's kind of like my new religion. Awesome. awesome. No, I like it. Uh, 
someone you look up to, like a, a big uh, big inspiration or a role model can be as a kid or as someone now? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. It is my Uncle Ronnie. I was only able to appreciate this once I started becoming a teenager, but he's a true genius. And he was kind of like a second father to me. And he's, you know, he was like a doctor and a lawyer and, and uh, English professor and written textbooks. And and he gave me, he imparted to me a a curiosity for life, you know. He got me into rock collecting. He got me into nature. He got me into really breaking things down and exploring them and using my mind as a tool. Um, so I've always been trying to live up to his genius. Awesome. Yeah, we have the same inspiration. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's a good man, Ronnie. Um, and finally, mate, if you could invite three people dead or alive to dinner, who would they be and why? Okay, the first person I would invite to dinner would be the late, um, supposedly assassinated President John F. Kennedy of the United States, killed in, I don't know why, 1961. I just want to invite him to dinner because I want to find out, okay, dude, what the hell happened? What really went down? I want the inside scoop, you know, assuming everybody's free to speak. I just want to know the deal because I I, kind of grew up with that. Um, So I just, like, I want to solve that mystery. Um, and the other two wouldn't people, you want to? Wouldn't you want to have? Um, wouldn't you want to have the guy who was the Lee Harvey Oswald? Lee because Oswald. John, John F. Kennedy did John, John F. Kennedy wouldn't know too much of the backstory, but he, he just got, uh, uh, yeah. After got, I got shot, I had a, had a chat with Lee Harvey, and uh, we had a couple of beers, and uh, someday no, we'll I, put a man on the moon. <laughs> I actually think Kennedy would have more information. He knew who his enemies were. He knows what was going on, and you know, it's it's yeah. He, he's. Mm. I think he would have more information than probably anybody. That's that's mm. why they killed him. Dead men, dead men don't talk. You know, mm. that's true. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so, Oof. and the and the other two people would be my parents. Both my parents died before they hit sixty, and I just would love to sit next to them and juice them up and thank them profusely. Because you know, I I, I didn't really appreciate my parents until. Their later years in life, and I and as I get older, I appreciate my family more and more. Mm. So I would just want them there, so I can love them up, tell them great job. Because man, I was I was a difficult kid, and <laughs> I turned out pretty good. So I mm. just want to let them Did know well. that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that was that was great, Mark. Hey, uh, finally, where can people find you on social medias? And anything you'd like to plug? Now is the time. Go for it. All right. Thanks for asking. I appreciate that, my friend. You know, on social media, if you go to Facebook, Institute for the Psychology of Eating, we got a fan page. Gosh, we do, we have so many followers from around the universe. Our website, psychologyofeating.com. We got so much free content. My friends, if you're tuning in, I got a podcast. I counsel people live on the podcast. Um, it's very powerful, very intense. We got videos audios, all kinds of free stuff. Of course, we have stuff you can buy, um, but there's a lot of free content. We have an eating psychology co-certification training. We train professionals how to do really a a great work with people when it comes to weight, body image, overeating, binge eating, emotional eating, all that sort of stuff. We have a program for the public, for people who just want to work on their own relationship with food and not help others. So psychologyofeating.com, that's a great entry point. Or just go to Facebook and, and just put in Institute for the Psychology of Eating. You'll find us. And, yeah, I hope you check us out. Awesome. Cool. All right, Mark. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was a great chat. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you, Doc. Thank you, Tommy. I, that, I, I have never been serenaded like that, and I'm going to miss it. I'm going to be crying when we get off air now. Well, yeah. you know, I, I record them all, and uh, you can find it on iTunes under Big Papa 69. Um, <laughs> right. there, so. <laughs> uh, all right, Mark. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, that's a wrap. All righty, guys. I really hope you enjoy that show. We've been giving you a... Uh, a few nutritious elements recently, and uh, 
you know, it's good to learn about protein, carbs, and fats. Also good to learn about the micronutrients. Standard smuts and, and, and spats. Obviously, they're the, uh, the micronutrients. So, uh, yeah, if you want to learn more about those, uh, then, um, guys, keep listening to the show. We'll, uh, we'll keep feeding you nutritious stuff. Hey, while you're at it, head to www.adventurefortravel.com. Keep up to date with Doc and Tommy by joining our mailing list. You get emails, you get tons of cool shit and links to the shows. It's all there. Head to iTunes, guys. That's where, you, obviously, you've got the show from. So, essentially, you're already there. It doesn't take much to just give us five stars and a really positive review about how sexy we are. It's all good. Guys, as I said previously, this is another show. We are sponsored by Audible. Head to www.audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio. Get yourself a little credit cred. And head to carve, www.carve.ph, and get yourself 10 free hours to work on any project you're working on. Even if you're not working on a project now and there's something you're foreseeing, just jump on carve, guys. You'll probably get a little bit of porn there as well. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. There's no porn on carve. Um, but if there was, I'm sure it'd be, uh, it'd be productive porn, you know, not the, not the sort of porn you get on, uh, on any website that I, that I don't know about. Because um, obviously that's objectifying women and I, I don't agree with it. So. Yeah, uh, I've I fucked uh, Audible Trial and, uh, and you the ADBF on the did I say cuff? Oh yeah, obviously guys. Why do I say obviously all the time? Bill, just uh, let me know that uh, if you want to go to Carve, go to www.carve.ph/adbf. So there it is. There was the show. Uh, we will speak to you next week. Goodbye. I've been to say. I'll be until. Um, but hey, goodbye. <laughs>